0: giants what i'm about and what i'm about is an old school physical mentality okay we're going to put a product on the field that the people of this city and region be proud of because this team will represent this area we'll play fast we'll play downhill we'll play aggressive we'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes we'll play every play like it has a history and a life of its own with a relentless
1: competitive attitude
2: What's up, everybody? Good evening. Welcome to Big Blue Avenue. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Join alongside Hank and Quick, shameless plug. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports to catch this episode. If you can't stick around for the whole show tonight and all of our episodes at Review and Preview Sports, welcome to Big Blue Avenue, a show where Hank and I feature all things New York football Giants related Remember to smash the like button, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends, family. We are going to recap the Monday night football game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and we're going to preview the week nine matchup against the Washington football team. But before we get there, Hank, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me tonight.
1: Tom, as always, how's it going? Great to be here. Looking forward to talking to some G-men, and another tough one, same as usual, but whatever it is what it is at this point I'm used to this how's it going my man
2: it's going good having a good week so far looking forward to talking to some New York Giants football to kind of set the stage for Thursday night football as we do every week give the fans a little distraction so before we get to the Bucks game I just want to say great effort by the Giants in week eight against the Tampa Bay Bucks. a game that a lot of people had written as a Giants L like a big L and it didn't happen to be the Giants would lose to Tampa Bay by a final score of 25 to 23 and I was right I know I had Tampa Bay winning by two touchdowns but it was still closer than what other people had Hank so uh you know I was really impressed by the effort and on to the next
1: yeah I agree and uh you beat me with the scores this time around I I believe I said what 30 to 13, 29 to 13, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah, This was one of those games where I really was – I don't want to sound like I'm coming off calling it a moral victory. Like, I was glad with the Giants' effort, but with that said, I was still kind of disappointed pretty much like most of the fan bases. But, you know, it is what it is. There were a lot of mistakes that they made that, like, I've been seeing time and time again this year.
2: So, Hank, I know we didn't discuss this before the show, but – Uh, How about this week? I'll start with the first half, and then you could do the second half um, for the game recap. Then we'll move on to some pros and cons and some key takeaways and then the Washington game. So, folks, this game started out very, very interesting. Uh, On their opening drive, Tampa Bay received the football. They would drive deep into Giants' territory, but the Giants' defense would hold, where Ryan Suckup would have to kick a 37-yard field goal. The Giants got good pressure on Brady on this third down play. And remember, Brady has not had a whole lot of success against the Giants throughout his career. So it was great to see an early start as there's David. Good evening, gents. David, good evening to you as well in Scotland. Always a pleasure, David. David Yates joining the show. Really appreciate it. Um, Remember to like and share this podcast with your family and friends. Let's get back to the game recap. So the Giants' opening drive, it was highlighted by, I believe it was an 18-yard pass from Golden Tate to Wayne Gallman, and this was a good play call by Jason Garrett. However, this drive would not translate to points, but I want to hone in on this play and let's show the folks a clip that I, I really think, you know, sets the stage to what you could potentially see in this offense for games to come.
0: Quick screen. Tate wants to throw it back to Goldman. And he's got some running room. Picks up the first down. He's across midfield.
2: So. Right there. Hank, can you hear me? Okay. so Golden Tate throws a nice pass in slow motion to Wayne Goldman. You see, boom, right there. Gates. Zeitler and Lemieux, all with punishing blocks on this play. Uh, I hope you folks heard me there. Sorry, there's a little audio issue, but um, just to show that again, I'm going to share my screen because you know I really like to dive into analytics, as Hank you you know very well. But on this play, it got the defense fooled as where Tate throws a pass um, across the field to Wayne Gallman, who I think the Giants should happen to use more, but. You know, here it is again in slow motion and there he is throwing the pass to Gallman and then boom, Shane Lemieux number, big number 66 right there. Here comes Zeitler with a good block and then Gates cuts his man down. Gallman's able to burst up field. That is a blocking clinic by the Giants offensive line. As poor as they've been at times this year, Hank, week eight was very much different and gates zeitler shane lemieux andrew thomas they were all great i know matt pert got into the game at times but what were your overall thoughts on that play i was very impressed how uh they were able to just run out in motion like that and take some people down
1: well for starters i also thought that was a pretty impressive play call like something i've noticed with the giants a lot is they're not afraid to mix it up or do anything like interesting or creative and That's an example. And I I like that they tried to set the tone early on that they're not really going to be a team that's like, you know, a pushover. But anyways, I I think it was a great play all around because the blocking was great. And of course, Goleman, the more I watch this guy, the more I really am impressed with him. And I really think he should be a starter and utilize more this year. I would agree. We'll dive
2: into that a little bit later to keep that on hold. But. After this drive would eventually stall, Uh, I believe Zeitler had a holding penalty that stalled it. Tampa Bay got the ball back. And then on the second play of that drive, Blake Martinez would force a Ronald Jones fumble recovered by Darnay Holmes in the Giants' red zone. However, what people don't know, um, you know what? Maybe I should save it for the clip, Hank, before I get too ahead of myself. We'll explain uh, momentarily right here.
0: Second down and eight. Brady underneath. That was deflected at the line. That ball comes out. Fumble. Let's see if that was a catch and a fumble. The Giants. All
2: right. So on this play, you can see he's Brady's dumping it off to Ronald Jones. Martinez strips it. Holmes recovers it. Great. But what you may have not seen on that play, look what happens. Dalvin Thompson hands up, tips the ball. And that is why Ronald Jones had to get down on his knees to make that catch. Hank. What do you think? That was a great job by DT on that play.
1: Oh, my gosh. That, that was definitely a play that if you blink twice, you'll miss it. But most importantly, I think it's another example, I got to say, of Blake Martinez. He's been a clutch player all year, and it's another example. Did you catch that tip by Delvin Tomlinson on the original play? I have to admit, no, because I was I was looking at Jones bending down, but... The more I looked at the replay after the game, I'm like, geez, that Dan Tomlinson, that was a great play.
2: It just happened so quick, you know? Yeah, exactly. So moving on, um, on this drive as well, uh, when the Giants get the ball back, they're in the red zone, right? Daniel Jones pulls an Eli Manning, and people may have not noticed it because of the two interceptions he had, but he pulled an Eli Manning. He got... Shaq Barrett, out of all players, to jump offside, making turning a 3rd-and-10 into a 3rd-and-5 when the, remember the Giants are down 3 nothing, Jones draws the defender offside. What does that do? That opens your playbook. Your playbook on 3rd-and-5 is a lot more open than it is on 3rd-and-10, especially in the red zone. It helps you out a lot. We saw what happened when the Giants faced a 3rd-and-11 in Tampa territory on Monday night they threw that awful screen pass to Deion Lewis which makes me sick to my stomach but the third and five Daniel Jones throws a beautiful seven yard touchdown pass to Deion Lewis on the wheel route giving the Giants a seven to three lead so when they get the ball back the Giants would go 12 plays on their next possession but It was stalled as Devin White had a 11-yard sack on Jones that pushed the Giants out of field goal range, forcing Big Red, as in Riley Dixon, to come out and punt the football. But the Giants' defense, Hank, it was really good all night, quietly. I mean, they probably don't get as much credit as they deserve, in my opinion. I overall think that they were great, and they forced another Tampa punt where the Giants would get the ball back. 10 play, 77 yard drive, capped off. It was a two yard touchdown, right? To Wayne Gallman? Two yards is correct. It was a two-yard touchdown to Wayne Gallman. Uh that put the Giants up 14 to 3 early on in the second quarter. Hank, here we are, up 14 to 3. Who would have ever thought it even surprised me, quite frankly. Oh
1: oh, same here. Like I, I thought the Giants defense in this first half did Really a phenomenal job at like shutting down Brady. And the turnovers, as we mentioned, were pretty huge, too.
2: I would agree. And then the turnovers were huge because I believe Jones threw an interception in that first half. I want to say it was later on. But um, I th- think he threw the interception to Carlton Davis, actually, in the first half, um, a play where... He just didn't know where he was. Daniel Jones made an errant throw, throws the interception. Brady gets
1: the ball with under two minutes left. Actually, actually, Tom, I hate to correct you. This was at the beginning of the second half. Wait.
2: Okay, you're right. Yep. So, Brady, but before we get to the second half, let's get to Brady getting the ball with under two minutes to go in the first half. Tampa responded with a 40-yard field goal, caught the deficit to eight at halftime. But Jones, I'm pretty sure one of his two picks were in the first half. No? He had one in each half, I want to say? Or did they both come in the second half? half. No, they they both both came in the the second half. half. So the Giants pretty much played 30 minutes of football, safe to say. Um, But up 14 to six. But, hey, this is really promising. Giants... Kick returner Deion Lewis, who scored a touchdown earlier on in the game, uh, returned the opening second-half kickoff, which we're going to show you folks on film right now, and break it down.
0: That first half, and so this figures would be an important possession to start the second half by the Giants. It's Deion Lewis from the goal line. Caught a touchdown pass, finds a seam now, and will cut it back. Deion Lewis out beyond the 40 to the 44-yard
2: so here's the kick again, and we'll show it to you a little slower. So there's Dion. He fields it. Beautiful block by Caden Smith. Levine Toivolo getting in the way. Dion Lewis finds the hole, moves upfield. Overall, an excellent kick return. Here it is one more time. Look at just the blocking. First level, second level. Finds an opening. Puts the Giants in excellent field position to start the second half. However, it was ruined Two plays later, Daniel Jones interception to Carlton Davis. Then the Bucks would get the ball. And Hank, I will let you take over from here. I just wanted to break down that Deion Lewis uh, kickoff return.
1: Yeah. So when the Bucks got the ball back, they would drive down to the Giants 24 and they would settle for a 43 yard field goal by Ryan Suckup. And that would be 14 to 9 New York Giants. And one of the things that happened on that play was Jones and Shepard had a bit of a miscommunication. I think. Shepherd went a different way, and so that that led to Jones throwing it to Davis. But in any event, the Giants would have a three and out would the ball back, but huh?
2: I want to go back to that Shepherd play. Yeah. Are are you saying that was Daniel Jones' fault?
1: Uh no, I'm just saying they like both kind of had a miscommunication. I think it was more of a fifty fifty. No, I, I think too. no, no, no. I think it goes hand I thought it went hand in hand. Yeah. No. But anyways, the Giants would get the ball back, but of course they'd go three and out, and the Buccaneers would get the ball back. They would go 67 yards on five plays, and classic New England touchdown combination right there. Braided Gronk for three yards, but however, when they tried to expand their lead to two on the two-point conversion, they would not get it. Gronk would. Y- y- Isaac Yadam was not able to guard Gronk, and that would be a 15-14 lead for the Buccaneers. Unfortunately, we knew it was, the Pampa Bay was probably going to mount a comeback like this so after such a good first half, and you knew it would be hard for the Giants to stay in this play for a whole 60 minutes. But, of course, on their next drive, the Giants would rebound. They would go 10 plays, marching deep into the Buccaneers' red zone. Engren, Evan Ingram had a huge 30-yard catch in this drive, which ironically was pretty similar to the, to the throw that he dropped in the game against Philadelphia. However, the Giants, unfortunately, were only able to settle for a field goal, but they still retook the lead 17-15. And there was some questionable play calling by Jason Garrett. There was a 3rd-and-11 screen pass to Deion Lewis that did not go well. Tom, what were your thoughts on that? So I brought it up before.
2: The 3rd-and-11 screen pass to Deion Lewis, it flat out should not be called because you're basically conceding and telegraphing the play that you're going to make to the defense. Remember, you have athletes on this defense, JPP. Shaq Barrett, Devin White, Levante, David, Carlton Davis, who's emerging into one of the best corners in football, and you're going to do something like that where all of those players have a heck of a lot of speed, especially the two edges in JPP and uh, Shaq Barrett for their position. So to make a call like that against Tampa Bay doesn't really make sense. Maybe against a Dallas or a Philadelphia, but not a Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. A screen pass like that on third and 11 really wasn't necessary. And, you know, the Buccaneers, they'd get the ball back. The Giants forced them through now, but then they would drive in deep into to the Tampa Bay territory. But then another pick from Daniel Jones. This one went to Sean Murphy bunting. But there's a highlight we got to show you. He shook off Slayton right before that interception was thrown.
2: Yeah, so let's show the folks this highlight. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of this throw by DJ. He met, So his original read was Darius Slayton, but how about more of the clip and less of me uh, describing it as we will take a look.
0: Pressure comes late. Jones hit as he throws, and it's intercepted. Picked off by Carlton Davis.
2: So in slow motion, you see it right here. His original read was Slayton. You could see him looking at Slayton, and then for some reason, I don't know if it was the pressure up front, but JPP's bringing him down, and there he goes, releases it. Terrible throw, Hank. Ugh. Absolute awful throw. Yeah. I. Th- he had a touchdown, potentially.
1: Yeah, I think probably what made him throw that was the pressure of the offensive line. But if I were him in that situation, I would have rather just taken the sack and move on to the next play. That, I would agree, yeah. Yeah, that, that's another example of Daniel Jones needing to, like, take a ne- negative play and accept it for what it is rather than try to do too much. But we'll get into a little talk about that later on. Uh this unfortunately would lead to another Tampa Bay score. As Tom Brady would throw an eight-yard touchdown pass to Mike Evans, putting the Bucs right back into the lead at twenty-two to seventeen. And then the Giants would get the ball back. Another three and out. Buccaneers would drive right into the Giants' red zone, and this, of course, was capitalized because James Bradbury had a really bad pass interference right as they got the ball back, and it worst was game of the season, Hank. Yeah, this was game of the season. This was a pretty uncharacteristically bad game from Bradbury Bunker. But the Giants, of course, you know, got to give them credit. The Buccaneers would get the ball back. And a good stop on defense by Peppers and Tomlinson on third and short to bring down Fournette would cause Tampa to have to settle for a 38-yard field goal. Can I say one thing about that play? Sure. That play
2: gave the Giants a chance. It just showed you that regardless of how long the defense was on the field late in that game, D.T. Jabril Peppers, two captains on the team, need I mention. Uh, actually, I don't know if Peppers is a captain. I think he is. Um, just an overall fantastic stop, both of them just coming in, because I think Fortnette was the one who got that carry. If he gets that first down, Tampa Bay milks off a lot more clock. Giants don't have a chance to score.
1: Oh, completely. One, I 100% agree. And that's really a credit to how well this defense has played all year for for what they've had. But anyways, let's talk about this last chance the Giants had. They would get the ball, three and a half minutes left. It was a 13-play, 70-yard drive. And I would say that this was probably Daniel Jones' most impressive drive in the game. Fourth and five, he finds Darius Slayton, hits him for a first down. And this was a 12-yard pass off his terrible back foot, my
2: Yeah, terrible throw off his back foot. But remember, he was on the pressure, so at that point he's kind of like, let me just throw a prayer up there, see if the receiver catches it and advances. And he did
1: Yeah no I totally don't blame him either that he was in a desperate situation for sure yeah but then later on he had a really good 15 yard scramble on a second and 15 and on fourth and 16 a very clutch 20 yard pass to Sterling Shepard who as we'll get to he had a really clutch game he did. Let's look at the highlight for that reception, shall we? Yeah, and this was really his best play of the game.
2: 20-yard catch on a fourth and 16. This final drive of the game was all DJ and Sterling Shepard, folks.
0: Here's Jones. To throw for it, and it is caught. Sterling Shepard down to the 30-yard line.
2: So... When you see your quarterback under pressure, now Deion Lewis is back to help. He's trying to help out the line. Jones flushes outside of the pocket. If you're a wide receiver, once you see that pressure, you need to revert back towards your quarterback to come and get the football. What does the five-year veteran Sterling Shepard do? Just that. And here's another catch he made on that drive, too, on a big second down. Uh, Hank, Sterling Shepard had 30 of his 74 receiving yards on this last drive. I was impressed. It was his best game of the – probably his best game in the last two years. I mean, you look at the numbers he's put up in four games, 22 catches in four games. It's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. And this almost helped us win the game too. And anyways, on the next play, Daniel – or not necessarily the next play, but later on, Daniel Jones would throw a 19-yard touchdown pass to Golden Tate. 28 seconds left and – course we also have that highlight to show you do we not
2: yeah uh before we get to this highlight just an overall fantastic throw a good read a lot of things happened on this play uh Lawrence Tynes former Giants kicker actually brought up a good amount of information as to why the Giants were able to score on this play and it was a similar play to the touchdown Golden Tate had against Philadelphia two weeks ago tonight
0: second and 10 from the 19th Jones for the end zone it is caught touchdown Golden Tate home
2: so here we see the replay in slow motion folks first thing you see as the ball is being snapped as you saw the the defender on Tate circle excellent protection up front they're backpedaling a little bit but that's okay and then a great route ran by Golden Tate for the touchdown but One thing you may have missed in the clip that I'm going to explain again now, oh, and here it is, Caden Smith runs a route. As you can see briefly, him crossing over the middle of the field. He takes the safety with him. Number 32, he was following Caden Smith that allowed Golden Tate to break loose and be open for that touchdown, and not to mention just a real good um, display. Of getting both your feet down in the end zone like that. And right after that, he shouted out, throw me the ball. Why? He only had two catches for 32 yards and one touchdown, uh, Hank. But that celebration was very short lived, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, no. I think, like you said, everything on that play that went well was great. But unfortunately, on the two point conversion, Daniel Jones would throw a pass to Deion Lewis, and that would be incomplete, deflected by Anton Winfield Jr. And this sparks, you know, a lot of controversy. And the big debate is were the refs right to pick up the flag after they initially threw it? It would have been a pass interference on Winfield, but they chose not to call it and let the play be as it is. Did you, Tom, I want to ask, did you think that that was a penalty, or or would you blame Daniel Jones for being a few seconds late? So. I saw the play, and
2: first thought, I'm like, oh, that's pass interference. I take a look back at it again in slow motion on the replay as the officials are reviewing the play, and Jones was late. He was late. If he threw it right away, he had Deion Lewis. Uh, We're not going to show that clip specifically, but um, overall, I thought that this play is probably – 75% 75% on Daniel Jones. The other 25% is probably up front uh, just because, actually, I'm going to blame Jason Garrett a little bit too. I think you needed, it was pretty much Deion Lewis or nothing on that play. Uh, and the fact that they didn't get it, I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting them to get it. I really wasn't. And that, that's, look, I like to think I'm an optimistic Giants fan, and so are you. But yeah. at the same time, it just wasn't a good play call. It wasn't a good play. You can blame it on Jones all you want, and rightfully so. He deserves the blame, but it should have been a better throw. It should have been a better play call. There's multiple angles that you can take here and really dissect the play down and see what went wrong. But we're not going to do that because we can pretty much spend the whole half hour on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, I really think it goes hand in hand. Like, I do agree with the general consensus that Jones threw the ball like a few seconds later than he probably should have. And I'm certainly not going to blame the refs on that either because that's a play. What Winfield did, he he was right there right when the ball was there. That was not pass interference, I don't think. Great play by the rookie, by the way. Yeah, and and the other thing is most of the time you're not even going to get that call anyways. So, no. Sorry, I was going
2: to say I think the only counter argument to that would be the ruling on the field was a pass interference that the Giants would get another shot. So there had to be inconclusive evidence to overturn it. Was there? Well, it depends on how you look at the play and what is a pass interference in that situation. He made contact maybe a little bit early, but it was so, and I hate to use this reference, folks, but a bang-bang type of play where you really couldn't know for sure.
1: Yeah, exactly. And again, when it's a bang-bang play like that, Chances are you're not always going to get the call. That's one of those luck of the draw things, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, this is why I generally speaking I don't like to blame the refs when it comes to losses. And as I said, should Daniel Jones have have uh, thrown the ball a few right away a few seconds earlier? Yes, but I do think you have a great point, indeed. Jason Garrett probably could have done a better play call for sure. So. And that was the Giants' last chance of the game. Tampa would recover the onside kick, and that would seal the win. And Tom, I have a really depressing fact for you. This is the third time in the last four seasons that the Giants have started one and seven. And do you know the last time the Giants started one and seven before this four year stretch?
2: I want to say
1: 2018. No, no, no. Before the four-year stretch. Before
2: 2017. <sighs> has to ha- has to be in the 80s. Probably early to mid-80s. Early, 80s. Er-
1: early 1980. 80s. 1980. That would have been Ray Perkins' second year as head coach. That was actually the year before we drafted LT, though. Fun fact.
2: Well, to think that that didn't happen in 40 years until three out of these last four years are just astonishing. It tells you where the organization has gone as a whole. Mm-hmm. So it's a shame, but I do think there are brighter days ahead. I think we had really poor management for a while. We, we still might in some areas, but it's not as noticeable as it was, I would say, like three or four years ago. Right. Yeah. I think and it's the first time we've had a coach that we know for sure is going to be here for a while. And I, I'm saying that with confidence. I know that for sure. 'Cause he brings that Parcell's Coughlin type of attitude to the game. And if Jones can just cut his turnovers in half, I don't mean to uh digress folks, but the Giants would probably have three or four wins right now.
1: Oh, one hundred percent. I think that's I think if we look at the Dallas game and the Philadelphia game for sure, I w- I would definitely agree with that. And then I could even throw in the Bears game. But You know, it is what it is. got to let bygones be bygones, unfortunately. But, uh, again, I think you make great points. One in seven, only one of the games the Giants weren't in. That was the 49er game. And the fact that they're hanging in. They were in it the first. No, no, no. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about the ends. Yeah. The fact that they've had a chance to win pretty much most of, if not all, the games with the exception of the 49er game. That's a credit to Joe Judge and what he's done with whatever little talent he's had on this team. But let's get to the positives of this game, though, shall we?
2: Yeah, so there are a few positives. And, Hank, I just wanted to point this out. I mean, not that it means much uh, because our defense did play very well, but we did outgain Tampa Bay 357 to 344. That was the final tally, and it was pretty much of an even time of possession. I think Tampa might have had us by about a minute. But, you know, that's a really good positive that you can take with you into the next game. Um, And then, of course, we know that Will Hernandez during the week got diagnosed with COVID-19. But his play has been regressing a little bit this year. And it was real nice to see Shane Lemieux in there, Hank. I don't think he played great, but he didn't play bad. I thought he was pretty decent.
1: Yeah, and Andrew Thomas also had a pretty improved game, too. And the fact that they only gave up three sacks to this defense, I think I think it shows you that even the offensive line is slowly starting to improve. I wouldn't say it's been spectacular, but it's been decent enough to where we think where it's been okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I could see it. But my question to you is, like, what are your thoughts on Jason Garrett? I mean, I personally thought this was one of his better games as the OC I thought it was a good mix of run and pass because the Giants were in the game they didn't have to go one dimensional uh, I mean they've pretty much been in every game this year so uh, that comment kind of gets taken out of out of play there because the Giants had the ball for a good amount of time in this game they had long drives they were able to move the football down the field and still execute I was I mean overall I was I wouldn't say like on a scale of 1 to 10 I would
1: give Garrett about a 7 yeah, or I think definitely better in previous weeks. I think that's an absolutely fair grade. I think, for the most part, he's definitely been a decent offense quarter. Like, I don't always agree with some of the plays that he's made. Like, as we mentioned, the two point conversion—that I we both agree that that wasn't the best of the play call. But with that having been said, I think you know mixing it up is something you have to do, and he he kept Tampa guessing for the most part. And that's another example. As we said, the Giants were in this game. Yeah, they for I, sure were in Here's another coach we have to give credit to. Who's that? Patrick Graham. Tom, yeah. You ask me a question regarding Patrick Graham. Would you say that he's the best defensive coordinator that they've had since. Um, maybe you've heard of him. His name is Steve Spagnolo. Yes.
2: Now, I know we've seen a really small sample size, but he implemented a great system in green bay it worked and he was pretty good in miami last year when you pretty much had a bunch of players off the street uh if you remember that linebacker they had last year who uh i think he's out with an injury this year vince beagle he turned Mm -hmm. him into a pretty good player uh I i mean and you saw it after minka fitzpatrick left didn't have much to work with Yet the Dolphins still finished five and eleven when they were highly regarded as the worst team in football throughout majority of the season. So he came here and he implemented that, and there's some familiar faces in Blake and Fackrell, and it's working.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Given the amount of talent that he that he has to work with this year, I'm pretty satisfied with what he's done.
2: Yeah, I would too. I think another pro we need to point out. I think individual players-wise, and I just had the ticker on the screen a moment ago, it's Wayne Gallman. Oh, for sure. It's Wayne Gallman because... Absolutely. Obviously, Devontae Freeman was out. He didn't play with the ankle injury. But Goleman, 62 yards from scrimmage, 44 of them on the ground. Now, remember, he only had 12 carries, so that's not a whole lot. Um, He had that one touchdown, which was good. Uh, he has two touch. He has a touchdown in each of the last two games. Now he's been by far the most impressive running back out of everybody we've used outside of, of course, Saquon Barkley. Uh, I think he's better than Freeman right now, and I think he's better than um, Alfred Morris. And I also think he's better than Deion Lewis. But uh, he was good. I really liked what I saw from Carter Coughlin, Hank, the rookie out of Minnesota late-round draft pick. In fact, Coughlin had his first career sack and had the highest PFF grade on the entire defense. He had a 90.6 PFF grade this past week. So you ain't kidding. I thought he was was really good. And then another guy, too, was Leonard Williams. Four sacks in eight games. Hank, uh, those are mine personally, but I know you had another
1: you wanted to get to. Yeah, Darnay Holmes. That that fumble that he recovered at the beginning was his first career fumble recovery. I think that was huge. But I think the main player that we should talk about, the main player who gets player of the week. And don't get me wrong. I think you could make a case that Leonard Williams' best known for four tonight could have made it. He had a, he had a f- some big sacks today, or not today, rather Monday. But he had a big performance. But I think the main guy who deserves player of the week that would be number eighty-seven, the guy on your jersey, Sterling Shepard.
2: That's right, folks. Sterling Shepard is my Week 8 Player of the Week, or our, I should say, Uh, Hank. Look at these stats. Uh, Eight catches, 74 yards. As we mentioned, 30 of those receiving yards came on the final drive. The 20-yard reception on the fourth and long, and then right after that, he had another 10-yard clip. And he's only played in four games this season. You look at his 2020 stats. If you go, folks, scroll down to the third to last bullet point, 22 receptions over 200 yards in four games. It's pretty darn good, if you ask me. Uh, You're averaging over five catches a game for a slot guy. Uh, And you look at his PFF grades, they're pretty good. 20th ranked receiver on offense and 30th ranked receiver in terms of receiving. And in week eight, this guy the best grade on the offense Hank uh but my real question is like is he the number two wide receiver on this team because it sure seems like as far as targets go I mean a lot of people will say it's Ingram but he's the tight end I'm looking for like out of the true wide receivers who the number two option would be behind Slayton and it looks like Sterling Shepard if he can just stay on the the darn football field he's that guy
1: yeah, I would tend to agree. He, he's definitely a good playmaker when healthy. And, you know what, I'm going to expand on this further and to piggyback off on this. Not only do I think he's a number two receiver, but I do think, think, as was shown in that game on Monday, Tom, he might very well be the most clutch out of all receivers.
2: He'll remember. He also has the most experience. I think Slayton is yeah. still a little raw. Tate is a little older, so he's slowed down a bit. But mm-hmm. – Um, quite frankly, Sterling Shepard is the best all-around wide receiver on this football team right now, Uh, which is surprising because a lot of people will call it Slayton, but I don't think Slayton has reached his ceiling yet. Right now, I think Shepard and Slayton are here. Despite all the touchdowns Slayton had last year, as far as the whole package goes, that's where they are. Uh, So, you know, that's just my opinion. And remember, this is big for us because we didn't have Shepard in Week 6 against Washington. Now we do. So that definitely gives us an advantage in a game where Daniel Jones only threw for barely over 100 yards. So my prediction is that Shepard has seven catches in the game this week for 73 yards.
1: I like that. I think that's very reasonable. And yeah, Washington, their secondary is going to have a harder time because you have Slayton and Slayton and Shepard on the same field. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see. I like that. I think. I'm going to say probably maybe – I'm going to one-up you and say it catches or 80 yards, but we'll see. It would be very interesting for sure. You always have to one-up me. I'm sorry, man. I just – I had to. Yeah, you sounded a,
2: sound a lot like LPG, Mike Vittolo, oh, those God. guys. Love those
1: guys. Oh, they're, they're legends. What can I tell you? <laughs> it's crazy. We got to interview both of them. And And I would love to have one or both of them back on the show.
2: One of these days we will. And you know, who else likes our choice? Your, your mom. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. He's, I think he, I've always liked him as a player. It's just, um, it's the injury bug for me that uh, makes me hesitate to just come out and say like, he's our best wide receiver because we know Slayton has the best ceiling out of everybody we got, but I mean, Sterling Shepard we've had for a few years now. We know what we're going to get out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and considering Slayton, I still thought he had a good game. Five catches, 56 yards, which wasn't bad. Jones spread the ball to his receivers really well. Look, Ingram had five catches for 60 yards. I know half his receiving yards came on that one catch, yeah. Hank, but. That was a bright spot as well. He he redeemed himself a little bit with that catch. So I was I was pleased to see that. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I'll tell you one thing, Jabril Pepper's at his best game of the season.
1: Oh, it's, good to, it's good to see him back healthy, you know? Definitely. And um, you know who else continues to shine is Blake Martinez. He had what nine tackles? And let's as we mentioned earlier, he had that forced fumble.
2: Yeah, and Joe Judge really stresses this to his players to go after the nose of the football try to punch it out as you're going down and i'm telling you right now the reason why it was a fumble is because of jones having to go down to get that ball which was tipped by tomlinson at the line you just put your hands up and that's all you have to do you have a shot at tipping that thing and then the result of the play is just great technique by blake doing a great job and speaking of technique Whatever he's doing is working. He's tied for the league lead in tackles, 82, which is not a surprise, mm-hmm. through eight games because he was pretty much top of the board last year in Green Bay. And Martinez, fun fact, has three games with at least 13 tackles.
1: Yeah, great acquisition for sure. And let's talk a little about the, a bit about the coach, Shoe, because I think he's a big part of our pros. This team, as we mentioned, they fought the entire game, and I can't stress it enough. that is a credit to Joe judge and the healthy environment that he has created. I mean look at look at the Cowboys for the polar opposite and Mike McCarthy and mm-hmm. let me give you an example of one of the things that Joe judge did so as some of you probably heard after this game, Golden Tate was complaining about being underutilized remember he had only one catch in the Philadelphia game that was a touchdown and he only had two catches in this game of course fortunately, this one also results in a touchdown, but Joe judge sent him home after he complained about that, which once again, that shows he's not afraid to sh- to hold his guys accountable. He's not afraid to say, Hey, listen, you're complaining about the seam. Go home. Goodbye.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You said it perfectly. It's rant time folks. Uh, I am very like not pleased at all with golden Tate. Uh, first of all, you're going to complain and saying you're not getting the football. How about blocking for your teammate? There was a play in this game where Golden Tate was open. Yeah, Jones didn't give him the ball. That's okay. Sometimes the pressure is in his face and he can't. But to just sit there and throw your hands up in the end zone saying, I'm open when Evan Ingram is diving across the pylon, you could have laid out a block on one of the two guys that pushed him out of bounds. This is a terrible, terrible look for the 32 year old veteran in golden Tate, This was the last guy I I would expect it from because he's an older player. He's been around the block a few times. And
1: you want to know what's kind of ironic. We're complaining about this. And this is a guy that he, that Gettleman got to replace Beckham. And remember Beckham, we all know about his reputation and we see golden Tate doing stuff like that. Unacceptable. It's
2: just, it's, it's not okay folks. Uh, I get it. You can be frustrated for not getting the football, but you can't let that carry over into the next week of practice, especially after watching the film and realizing that you're not helping out your teammates to the caliber that you should. And speaking of that, let's get on to the cons a little bit, because there are a few, not as many as last week, though. Uh, Daniel Jones did have two costly turnovers in this game. Uh, The two interceptions to Carlton Davis and... Sean Murphy bunting. Hank, you put in a lot of thought into Daniel Jones
1: in this game. I did. break that down. You know, this game was a tough one because I really think if you take away those two interceptions, this honestly was one of his best performances all year. And, Remember, he almost led them to a game-tying touchdown or uh, a game-tying drive. And I think you know I think sometimes he tries to do too much. Like when I see him under pressure and making those bad throws, it's it's what I mentioned before. He doesn't know when to t- that sometimes you need to just take a negative play for what it is and just, you know, accept that Take the incomplete pass, take the sack, whatever, rather than throw the ball and make a quick punt. If you know what I mean by the interception.
2: Yeah, he needs to learn how to throw the football all the way. And before we continue on Daniel, just want to get to Kyle's comment. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think his hands are up because he was calling it for a touchdown. Yes, but if you watch the full clip, Kyle, you'll see originally his hands are up before. Ingram was even close to the pylon because he wasn't. He didn't get the football on that play, and then he switched his motion immediately after. His his arms were kind of like in a side motion, and then he switched it up, saying Ingram c- crossed the pylon. But regardless of his hand motions, he should have gone out there and gotten the block on that player. Uh, but thank you for the comment, Kyle. Keep them coming, folks. Keep them coming.
1: So to continue on Daniel Jones, if I may. I think another thing obviously is reading defenses. Another example, sure, you can make the argument that the offensive line did not help him when he threw that interception right right before that and that he would have had that wide open touchdown. But this this is something we've seen multiple times. And a, as I mentioned, remember that game against the Rams he threw into triple coverage when Evan Engram was wide open?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that if the, if this becomes a pattern, then I can understand why you might see more and more Giants fans want this guy gone. Not that I'm going to be one of them and not that you're going to be one of them, because I know you and I still think that he can be a franchise quarterback. But with that said, I do want to ask, though, Tom, out of curiosity, to what extent, percentage-wise, would you say is it fair to pin on this game on Daniel Jones?
2: Um, I've pretty much been saying this the whole week. You can never put a hundred percent of the blame on one player, right? Uh, because the team lost, it wasn't just one player that lost. I say 90 to 95%. Uh, if you want an accurate number, I'll probably round up or round down to 90 because despite the two turnovers, Jones still had moments in this game where, uh, he was good. He made plays. There were moments where he was bad. Yes. we, We know that. And, you know, there's a question that's brought up now is, you know, how much does he hurt you? Like, can you withstand the good moments and take the bad that come with him? He has to fix these errors. And I think uh, the other few percent probably goes to Jason Garrett, to the coaching. Um, at times, there, there wasn't some good plays being called. I mean, the offensive line wasn't perfect either. They did give up three sacks in some crucial moments. And then the, the penalties, Bradbury did not have a good game. So there's multiple yeah. outlets of blame that you could put, but it's never good to put the blame just solely on one player. Although I will admit to you that Daniel Jones is the primary reason why the Giants lost this game. Because without those interceptions, Tampa Bay doesn't have the short field uh, to move that football.
1: Yeah. I was kind of thinking about maybe between 85, 90, somewhere around that ballpark figure for me yeah. personally, because you take, yeah. I'm probably stating the obvious, but without those two perceptions, you definitely it's definitely a different ball game. However, I do think it is worth mentioning if he does get the- read that pass well on that, on that two point conversion, and if uh, um, Lewis scores that, I think we look at this performance a lot differently because you know, at work we see this game going to overtime, and you know, even if even if we lose, we will we could still say, oh, well, he still led the Giants on a game tying drive, he's still put them right back into this game, even with the mistakes he made. So th- there's really two ways you can look at Daniel Jones. That's how I see it. And oh, absolutely. If he converts that pass,
2: we're talking about taking Tom Brady to overtime.
1: Yeah. And as I said, regardless of what happens in overtime, overtime's is 50, 50, especially now that it's 10 minutes and, and a field goal does not automatically win. It's, it's 50, 50 from there on out.
2: What was bad about his performance in this game is that it was on Monday night football. And, football fans across the country were watching. Yeah. And you know, they were probably thrilled to see a, a tight football game
0: mm-hmm.
2: But at the end of the day, you have to make that throw. And just a, a comment, folks, this first bullet point, it's reads 739 passer rating. That's meant to say 73.9 passer rating. There's a decimal point missing just to show you guys. Um, look, According to PFF, he's still very middle of the pack. Yeah, and it's because of his athleticism and ability to make plays. Uh, he's not a statue. He does have the most giveaways since 2019, which is not a good thing at all. He is four and sixteen as an NFL starter at this point. I think Eli was either twelve and twelve or thirteen and eleven. Uh, and then let me do the math. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Or thirteen and ten, something like I think it was more like a twelve and twelve record. Um,
1: and then yeah,
2: I think that sounds about right. We look at his previous performance against Washington in week six, he threw for barely over a hundred yards, but as we mentioned before, stats don't always tell the full story. He didn't have Sterling Shepard. The running game was pretty good that game, and the defense was brilliant. Uh you don't have to throw for two hundred, three hundred yards when uh, your defense is playing lights out. It, it's okay to hand the ball off and win football games. You could still win football games that way. Not every single week, but again, the line was good in week six. And Daniel Jones again, three and zero against Washington throughout his car- throughout his career. We'll preview in a little bit if that success does continue. But Hank, I mean, again we could ask this question tonight. We could ask it a month from now. We could ask it a year from now is Daniel Jones, our franchise quarterback. I still think as of right now, yes, but I'm not going the placeholder route. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying he's a bridge because you drafted him this high. So I think if Jones doesn't cut his turnovers in half by the end of the season, then you should start looking elsewhere for other options. But right now, um, I'm still a believer in Daniel Jones at this time,
1: yeah. I'm pretty much on the same page as you in that sense. Like, I do think maybe you know, look, we'll look at the rest of the season, maybe things will change drastically. But for the time being, 36 interceptions and having, a, I don't, he only like what one clean game. If this pattern continues within the next year or two, because I'm, I'm going into next year assuming that he's still going to be the starter. Well, right. that way. I'm not, I'm not thinking about Lawrence or Fields or whatever quarterback there is. No, I don't I'm, want either of those guys to be honest, to be, to be I'm honest with. I'm going into next year assuming that Daniel Jones is going to start. So I would agree. With um, that having been said, we this the pattern of turnovers every game that can't continue. It, it here's can, the problem. Here, here, sorry, uh,
2: he has to limit the fumbling. He's yeah. thrown the same amount of interceptions that Eli Manning did yes. through his first 20 or so games, the same exact amount. The problem is the fumbles. Yes, the interceptions are a problem, but the fumbles are – you can't focus on both things at once. You have to focus on one thing at a time, especially when both of them are a big, big – Concern. If you limit the fumbles and know how to tuck the football and hold on to it, then you'll start to throw less interceptions because you're worried about less. You know what I'm saying? Once he fixed that fumbling problem, then worry about the interceptions. Right. If he can fix both at once, great. But sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Sometimes it just makes your performance look worse. You know what I'm saying? So he has to do a better job at reading defenses knowing when to step into the pocket, throw the football away, take a sack, and go down cleanly.
1: Yes, and it gets back to the point that I made earlier. If there's a play that, like, he knows is probably not, like, going to end well, like, he should just take the sack or throw the ball away. It it gets back to the point that I made earlier. Yeah. Take a negative play for what it is. But
2: to be fair, remember, you're going up against a tough Tampa Bay defense. Right. Make an excuse for Daniel because this game was on him, and we know that. Uh, quarterbacks under 23, however, are oh, have only won one game against Tom Brady, and that's including the playoffs throughout Brady's illustrious 20 20- By the way, correct me if I'm year. wrong.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but can I take a guess as who that one quarterback is? I don't know if you know the answer to this
2: who that quarterback is um can't be Mark Sanchez no
1: did i was i really correct on that holy smokes yes week 2 of the 09 season with the jets he was like twenty-three. Wow.
2: that was a complete guess by the
1: way cuz i two. just
2: assumed it had to be somebody within the within the division cuz your divisional opponents always play you tight not always but majority of the time they're close games they're closer than no i'm cuz you see each bad. other more you know Even through years, you could be in the same division as your opponent for years, and that's an advantage that you have going up against that team. Uh, But with that being said, Hank, the Giants were unable to sustain an 11-point lead in the first half uh, and a lead after three quarters. We mentioned Bradbury had a bad game. I thought they lacked discipline at time with crucial penalties, as we mentioned. The Giants had seven penalties compared to Tampa, who only had three. I think the penalties team-wise are a concern that need to be cleaned up as well. Obviously, not having Will Hernandez was key, but I thought Shane Lemieux did a decent job. I think uh, if Hernandez cannot go this Sunday, we should see uh, Shane again in there. And I think this proves that Shane can eventually start at right guard where Kevin Zeitler is right now, considering releasing Zeitler at the end of the season would free up over $10 million in cap, which is big. Uh, and we don't have much of a penalty releasing Big Zite. But without further ado, the Giants fall all-time to 25-42-1 on Monday Night Football.
1: Tom, I want to ask you this, by the way, before we get to the takeaways. Do you remember when the last time the Giants won a Monday Night Football game was?
2: Last time the Giants won a Monday night football game. Uh, Definitely Eli Manning era. Correct. Um, I'm going to take a wild guess and say 2016 when they beat the Cincinnati Bengals and I was at that game.
1: I think you're right. I'm not 100% sure. I can't remember if they won a Monday night game in 2018, but I think you're right because that's the last one I can think of. Yeah, that was the last Giants game I was at, actually, four years ago. Uh, that was
2: the Ring of Honor game where it was uh, it was Coughlin, Tuck, and a Corsi. That yeah. was a, that was a playoff year for us. So well, uh, well, those were the good old days. Let's get into the key takeaways. We know Shane Lemieux is more than likely going to be a future starter on this offensive line for the New York Football Giants. Another thing that we know, and I've been saying this for weeks, and David, if he is watching right now, will love this comment. Wayne Gallman needs to be used more. He is a true (laughs) underdog, no pun intended. Uh, And Wayne Gallman, fun fact, is one of the longest tenured players on this roster. He was drafted in the fourth round in 2017. And a lot of people, experts, were predicting him to be cut come the final cuts. But then I think what happened was a running back got hurt. Gallman stuck around. He was behind Dion and Saquon. Saquon went down. They brought in Freeman. Gallman has been in the mix in that rotation. And most touch, most rushing touchdowns on the team. Best average yards per carry. And, yeah, you can see the fun facts at the bottom. But... Hank, I think this is the guy who should be leading us in carries, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I I feel like he keeps getting better and better every game too.
2: Yeah, I think he needs to be the feature back on this team. He's also a good blocker. He had a really good block in this game that kept Daniel Jones upright against that Tampa defense. And I wasn't a big fan about how Alfred Morris was sprinkled in during the first quarter that much. I know he had one good run, but eight carries for 28 yards. I mean, you bring him in. I mean, you you now have Gallman when Freeman comes back. He's competing with Alfred Morris and Devontae Freeman. I mean, this running back duo would have been great if we're talking about 2014. We'd have two of the top ten running backs in the league. So yep. six years later. Look, it's not looking great. Gallman has to be that guy. He has to be that guy. And look, yeah, I say, I say it pretty much like every other week. He played college ball with Deshaun Watson. And fun fact, his high school football teammate was Tampa Bay Rays outfielder, Austin Meadows. Hank, did you know that?
1: Believe it or not, I actually didn't know that before this. Hey, every now and then I'll learn a fun fact myself. When I had you know. to
2: make it a little goofy considering the cartoon character in the bottom right corner. I love it, though. Yeah. I That was uh, my college thesis was on that, underdogs in sports. So Wayne Gallman, definitely one of them. All right. Perfect. So, Hank, we move on, and I think we know this now, and we know this already. The Giants are, truthfully, a decent football team. This is a football team that can win games if Daniel Jones finds a way to live it, the turnovers without half of these Jones turnovers, the giants are three and five, four and four right now. Yeah. We'd be beat Tampa Monday for first night. Place. What's that? We'd be fighting Philly for first place. I agree. Yeah. We would probably be in the best spot. Even without Barkley, we probably would have beaten both Philadelphia and Dallas and probably Tampa. You could, could even argue, argue Chicago there two. You could argue Chicago, which could make us five and three. Instead of one and
1: seven. I think Chicago they would have won if not for the Bobby Massey play.
2: I mean, maybe. Yeah, I don't know because Chicago has a good defense. And it was only week two. Our offensive line was not clicking at that point. There's so many what ifs you could put into perspective. But I think if everything went the Giants way and everything went right, yes, five and three could be a possibility right now. If Jones cut his turnovers, but I'm not going to come out and say that because that would be a little biased. But I think three and five, four and four, could be a fair record for us right now. It's Jason Garrett, point. we know his play calling is unpredictable. You never know what to expect from Jason Garrett, which is a good thing and a bad thing. Um, some of these trick plays don't work with the players on these roster, and I think he's starting to get that vibe. Uh, Patrick Graham, we mentioned it earlier. Potentially our best DC we've had since Spags. The Giants had two sacks on Brady, but they did pressure him a decent amount. And Hank, I thought Tom Brady was really impressive in this game. Uh, he was 28 for 40, a little under 300 yards, but the two touchdown passes. So I thought that was great. And fun fact, folks, Tom Brady has the second most completions when targeting single coverage in the NFL only behind, ironically enough, rookie quarterback Joe Burrow. And we'll show you what I'm
1: talking about, Uh, a real clinic of Tom Brady. By the way, I got another fun fact about Tom Brady for you. What's that? Believe it or not, he's never lost to the Giants at MetLife Stadium or the old Meadowlands, for that matter. Yeah, or the old Giants Stadium. But, yeah, let's get to
2: the Tom Brady Clinic on single man coverage.
0: From the New York 42 off the play action. Brady has time, able to complete the Cameron Brait. He'll lower the shoulder and crash an Isaac. First down and goal. Ends up being a nine yard penalty. Brady throwing it for Evans in his neighborhood. Got it, touchdown. And not to mention folks, that's against James Bradbury. Giants rush four. Brady looks and completes its first. T- first and 20. Mickens, a guy Brady puts who, some air I don't Ethan even know his name. Tyler Johnson, and he took yeah, a... like, who's that? From their 47, Brady off the play fake to throw. Finds Gronk in a seam, and he's down to the thirty. Another nice pocket for Brady to throw out of Mike Evans.
2: And, and there you have it. That's Tom Brady at 43 years old doing Tom Brady things uh, on a different football team.
1: Amazing, Un- unreal. That Say what you want about him, but I will forever maintain until by some miracle I see another quarterback do what he does, that he's the GOAT. 100%. Sorry. And
2: I think another thing, too, key takeaway from this game, the defensive line was solid. They only gave up 81 total rushing yards to Tampa. Uh, Ronald Jones did not have his best game. Seven rushes, 23 yards, and one fumble. Leonard Fournette had 15 carries, 452 yards, so the Giants did a pretty decent job. But one thing I want to say, too, obviously they were without Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown, but they still had Rob Gronkowski, and they still had Mike Evans. They held Gronkowski to four catches, 41 yards, and a touchdown. Mike Evans, five catches, 55 yards, and a touchdown. That's pretty darn good uh considering those are two of the you know most lethal weapons at their positions in this league. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was impressive. Another key takeaway in this game. I just want to mention it now. The refs probably got the Levine Toylolo pick play wrong. Uh It was a first down catch that Evan Ingram uh, made and, I thought Levine Toilolo did a good job making his block. I don't necessarily think it was a pick play. Remember, the announcers were kind of debating it. Steve Levy and those guys, they were talking about it. I don't think that was a flag, but they called it a flag. And uh, Another thing, Hank, our special teams is really, really good. It's one of the best special teams units in the NFL, and we're going to give our top special teams players some love tonight because we don't talk about them that much. And here they are. Of course, Mm -hmm. Riley Dixon and Graham Gano are a part of this, but we've talked about them in the past. These are guys we don't really mention much. Nate Ebner, right in the bottom middle, who is a three-time Super Bowl champion in eight seasons with the New England Patriots, played under Joe Judge. That was his special teams coordinator in New England. Ebner plays about 90% of the special teams' snaps. He is an ace, Hank. Uh, he's a captain as well on this team. I think he's been an excellent addition to the New York Giants.
1: Oh, I definitely agree with that. He brings he brings a lot to the table, and I think he, he's part of what's really been an underrated and underappreciated unit. And I'll tell you this, too. Since we haven't really heard a lot of these names most of the season when it comes to special teams, you know what that means? They're doing their job.
2: Another guy who's been doing his job is number 58, Casey Kreider, the long snapper who was a pro bowler in 2018 for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Former teammate of, well, he was a teammate in Denver of Riley Dixon's. Cam Brown, rookie linebacker out of Penn State. He's played about 70% of the snaps on special teams. Uh, We have Corey Ballantyne up here, 63%. Elijah Penny, who's an excellent blocker. Normally, in the modern-day NFL, fullbacks aren't utilized much. The Giants may not utilize Elijah Penny that much on offense, but they sure do utilize him on special teams a heck of a lot more than other teams utilize their fullback on that unit. He's been great. And then, of course, David Mayo, who was a starter for us last year at linebacker. He still is, but coming off that torn meniscus, they're kind of sprinkling him back in on defense. He's played more special team snaps than defensive snaps so far. I think eventually he takes over as that full-time second linebacker inside with Blake Martinez, but not that it matters much because the Giants play everybody under judge. Everybody's going to get in at one point or another. So, those are my six guys, Hank. Uh I think these are really good guys to pinpoint. Give them a little love tonight on the show. David Mayo, Corey Valentine, Elijah Penny, Casey Kreider, Nate Ebner, and Cam Brown. Not to mention, Cam Brown is a rookie making an impact. Um, I also think the special teams unit, it continues to quietly flash. We showed the Dion Lewis kick return earlier. Graham Gano has been near automatic this year, Hank, uh, inside 40 yards. And then... Riley Dixon, one of the better punters in the NFL, big Red. we pinpoint at that every single week. These are the guys we're putting the special team spotlight
1: on tonight yeah it's it's by far, I would say this has been our best unit the whole season. And now, go ahead, Hank. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's another credit to Joe Judson. If you remember, he was a special teams coach in New England, and he's brought some of that experience to New York, too. So that helps a lot.
2: Yeah, these are the six folks. And another thing we're going to show right now, what did these six guys do as a unit on Monday night against Tampa Bay? I should probably say more of what did the Giants do? Uh Notice that. Bradley Pinion, the Tampa Bay Bucs punter, did not like pressure in his face. You may have seen on your TV screen on Monday night, the Giants sent the house on fourth down when they were returning punts with no return man multiple times. So Joe Judge took note of that in film, that Bradley Pinion, not the biggest fan of pressure. That's part of the reason why the Giants had their highest rated game of the season on special teams run defense, and overall team great. These guys were great on specials, and let's show you what we are talking about.
0: All of that has helped them to stop this Bucks offense. Again, nobody deep for the Giants. Again, Bradley Pinion gets it away. Takes a bit of a New York bounce.
2: What the pressure does, as you can see, it forces the ball to bounce back. Giving the Giants better field position here. You see it again. Instead of going inside the 10, this time Jabril Peppers is able to get back and pick it up for a return after locking his man. So, Hank, those are the little things your average fan might not pick up when watching a Giants game.
1: Yes. And um, to pinpoint another thing we've been. Praising Judge about that. You know what that is? Accountability. Three words. words. Attention to detail. Yeah. So that's a great point.
2: Um, Okay. So JPP playing against his old team, similar to my predictions. He had seven tackles, one sack, two tackles for a loss. I thought Andrew Thomas and I know Matt Pert was actually mixed in with Cam Fleming a little bit in this game. We might see Pert start to overtake the right tackle spot. But I thought the offensive line did a decent job limiting Tampa Bay's pass rush. But it was to no avail. The Giants are now one and seven for the third time in four seasons. Uh, six of their seven losses this year have been decided by 10 points or fewer. And then this is going to blow everyone's mind. Our last two losses combined for a total of three points. We lost by one to Philadelphia, to two by Tampa. Again, they're in these
1: games for the most part.
2: And also, the Dallas game, we lost by three. So, again, you could even make the argument our last three games, we've lost by a combined six points. That's not much margin.
1: Well, through right the last four, technically speaking, but yeah. yeah.
2: And then since 2018, I don't know what it's been. Our home record has been atrocious. We're 5-15 and 15 at home. That's the worst in the league. It just shouldn't be that way, but um, unfortunately it is. But enough on Tampa. Let's preview Week 9 against Washington. So <laughs> the Giants decide to not move anybody at the deadline outside of Marcus Golden. Thoughts on this, Hank?
1: Yeah, I... I thought if anybody for sure was most likely going to get moved, I thought it was going to be Golden Tate, considering he's the older veteran, considering he had some big plays with the limited catches he's had. But I, I don't know. I, I guess not a lot of teams wanted to take an older receiver. And I, I don't know. It is what it is. Maybe maybe Gentleman sees something in some of the other guys that we mentioned. But, oh, well, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. I like that phrase.
2: Um, i got to stop using that. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to say this. I think you really want to focus on Jones' development and improvement, and I think the fact that they weren't able to trade Kevin Zeitler does not surprise me because his play has not been stellar this season. It hasn't been poor, but it hasn't been absolutely great either. Uh, The other guy, Golden Tate, He's having issues right now. I mean, he's making plays. His stock is probably a little better than it was a couple of weeks ago, but still not good enough to get a return that the Giants would like. And then Evan Ingram, of course, we know they want to re-sign him. So I don't think Ingram is going anywhere. Sorry, Giants fans who want Evan Ingram gone.
1: Myself uh, included.
2: Yeah, uh, me too. But anyway. The Washington football team, they are 2-5. and They're coming off their bye week. The Giants beat them back in week 6, 20-19 for their only win of the season, a win that many argue was gift-wrapped by Ron Rivera going for a two-point conversion down by one after scoring a late touchdown. Sounds like the Giants trying to tie it up this past week, except the Giants were forced to go for it because they were down by two. Uh, The Giants have won. Their last four meetings against Washington, Hank, they've been very successful against this team. Can Daniel Jones go four 0 in his career against Washington?
1: I do think it's very possible. Washington has been very flawed this year, as we've seen. So, and of course, I'm going to say the obvious cliche: it's the NFL. Anything on any given Sunday, but in all seriousness, yes, I absolutely do think it can happen. And. Tom, do you want to hear a fun fact? What's that? Since 2006, do you know how many times the Giants have lost in D.C.?
2: Well, I mean, I'll try not to look at the answer on the script, but it has not been many. They've been – I think we've been pretty successful in Washington, historically-wise. I, I mean, like three, four times, right? Yeah, four. The correct yeah. answer is four.
1: We've been very successful there throughout the years. And as I always say, let me give you another thing I always say, and this has been a pattern that's happened multiple years. Anytime we have like a bad streak of losses, Washington always seems to appear on the schedule at the right time.
2: Pretty much. The Giants own Washington all time. And although I will say this, coming off their bye week, Washington had a great performance in week seven against Dallas. They smothered them 25-3. to But if the Giants played Dallas now, I'd say we'd probably beat them too. So, because I know we still have to play Dallas again as well. But yeah. Washington, I mean, they're a little healthier. I know they're without Land and Collins, which is big. But they Washington scares me a little bit. They have a solid pass rush, a great group of linebackers: Kevin Pierre, Lewis, Jonathan Bostic, and Cole Holcomb. A good offensive line, you know, they have guys like Morgan Moses, Brandon Scherf, but, you know, the Giants, they've, I mean, look, we've still been banged up. This game could really go either way. The Giants had to sign Kenny Wiggins on Tuesday, which tells you something about Will Hernandez. He will probably not be back for week nine against Washington. So expect to see Shane Lemieux again on Sunday. I mean, there's, it's just been either COVID, between the injuries, O'Shane Zimenez will not be ready to return from short-term IR until after the bye, which is tough because the Giants don't we, – we lost Golden via trade. We lost Lorenzo Carter, who's out for the season. We're left with Fakrell. That's it. Other, otherwise, we're throwing rookies and guys we signed off the street out there, like Trent Harris and Jabal Sheard. Not good. No. Not good at all. It's not what you want. No, I mean definitely not. And you know, I'm a little annoyed at Giants fans. The Giants fans were cheering when Ryan Lewis was benched. I'm uh, not benched, but injured last week and did not play. I mean, again, he's not practicing this week so far. But Ryan Lewis. There was a reason why Isaac Yadam, Corey Ballantyne were benched. Ryan Lewis was the best out of those three by far. I mean, you can pick on Ryan Lewis all you want. We're not saying he's Santa's little helper. We're we're not not saying, you know, he's the second coming of like Corey Webster or somebody like that. He's not. But I will tell you this much. He's, He's our best option right now, quite frankly. Sadly, that's the truth. And if you're just gonna cheer for a guy to not play, like you really want Yadam back in there? Why do get it going?
1: Well, I don't like seeing people cheering inj- injuries, regardless.
2: No, and especially when it's for your own team. Like, yeah, that's that's stupid. Though, right? Those aren't good fans. But anyway, Devontae I have Freeman, no patience for that. Yep, we do have an update on Devontae Freeman. He has been working with. Trainers, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, he was a limited participant in practice today. So he is questionable for Sunday, but not likely that he will play yet. Uh, on Wednesday, the Giants claim wide receiver Dante Pettis off waivers from the San Francisco 49ers. This man is a former second-round pick, Hank. Uh, he could fill a void as a consistent kick returner you know the Giants have been
1: using a rotation so far what do you think of this waiver pickup I think it's awesome oh yeah totally agree it would definitely help and might end the rotation so I'll take that I mean I still think they're going to use multiple guys I
2: mean Deion Lewis, Andrew Pruitt Peppers have been great at times but Those guys have been utilized a lot in the offense lately, and I think to give that role to a guy like Dante Pettis will put a little pressure off them. Just my opinion, but I don't know. I'm not Joe Judge, so I don't know what he's thinking, you know? But Dan Dugan reported this, Giants beat reporter for The Athletic, that this is the silver lining of having a bad record. You are atop the waiver priority. So, you know?
1: That's, a, that's the Patriots
2: wanted him. the The Patriots were pre- pre- uh, they were prepared to claim him, and then the Giants did it. They stole him from New England. So, you know, Belichick's <laughs> not too be happy so about that. Through. But I'll I'll take that. Um, and then you know, my last key takeaway is that uh, not key takeaway, but more preview for Washington is that expect Slayton, Shepard, and Ingram to lead barrage in targets again. You know, Slayton and Ingram both lead the team in receptions pretty much. So between them and Shepard, I don't see Tate getting more than five targets, if that. You know, I'm just not 100% certain, especially I'm not. I have not been a big fan of his attitude this week either, folks. But Mm -hmm. moving on, let's get to our keys of the game. Hank, I'll let you start.
1: And there's a few. First of all, we got to pressure the quarterback, Kyle Allen. As we remember, did not have one of his best games against the Giants last time, and yeah, you know, I think they did a pretty good pressure. They did a pretty good job of putting pressure on him in in Week Six. But you know, if you want to win again, we got to do more of the same. And if I remember, he had he went 31 for 42, 194 yards, three for two touchdowns, but he also had an interception. But, of course, we also remember another key turnover he had was that scoop and score by uh, Mr. Irrelevant himself, who, unfortunately, I don't know if he's playing in this game. No, he's still on IR, and a lot of people are saying
2: without that play, the Giants are still winless. Without the scoop and score from Tay Crowder, Giants are 0-8. And And I can't really argue against that, you know, as sad as that is
1: to say. Yeah, really, we definitely, whether you or not you agree that Ron Rivera single-handedly gift-wrapped us that win, I definitely think the Giants came away with some luck in that game. I'd agree. Um,
2: I'll take the next key. Go for My it. Next, our next key is stopping the run. We know that we did that really well against Tampa Bay, who uses a rotation of running backs, whether it's Jones, Fortnette, or even, I know McCoy's been banged up but uh Keyshawn Vaughn as well you know those guys have been running Antonio Gibson the rookie running back for Washington a guy who a lot of people happen to like he is the seventh ranked running back on pro football focus and has four touchdowns in 2020 that is double the amount of any Giants running back uh why this is going to be a good battle in the trenches up front because Washington has guys like Brandon Scherf good young center and chase Roulier, and then Morgan Moses all on that solid offensive line. But the giants have three of the top 15 interior defensive linemen in football. According to PFF, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams. Nobody runs on these guys. They are dominant as a unit, Hank.
1: Yeah, they've been amazing this year. And, you know, some other another mention has to go to B.J. Hill, who's not too far behind in that department.
2: Yeah, you know he's been a good rotational yeah. player too. You know he was a starter before Leonard Williams was traded here last year.
1: Right, and do you, are you okay if I take this next key to the game? Yeah, I think I know where you're headed with this, but I'll let you shoot at it. For those of you who you who know me all too well. Here's what i got to say. There it is. You love this. You love this, Hank. Every week. Get off the field on third down. That's it. That's all i got
2: to say. Well, I mean, yeah, but look, we've been doing it pretty well the last couple of weeks. No,
1: I know, but it just – it needs to be repeated. I can never stress that enough.
2: Yeah. Look at
1: the Philadelphia game.
2: Didn't happen late. You know, sometimes in moments, the Giants just – you know, they, they still, they still
1: can't do it, you know? Exactly. That's it's, it's not, it doesn't happen on a consistent basis. I, and as I said, even if they're good, I can never not use that as a key to the game.
2: Right. I mean, it's definitely a legitimate point. Uh, We also need to win the turnover battle. We did not win the turnover battle against Tampa Bay. That is more than likely the reason for defeat in week eight. Kendall Fuller is a Washington cornerback with four interceptions on the season. In fact, he had one off of Daniel Jones in week six. He is the fifth-ranked cornerback on Pro Football Focus. Fun fact about him, Chris Collinsworth and PFF, they're great men. Uh, he has as many interceptions as first downs allowed.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, that's been, he's been a good pickup. Think about that. Although I don't know how he feels leaving a Super Bowl champion to go back to Washington.
2: Oh, you're thinking of Kyle. I'm talking about Kendall Fuller. Oh. Gosh. You're right. My bad. It is your bad, Hank. <laughs> Kendall Fuller is yeah. only
1: 25 years old. Kyle Fuller's a bit a bit older, I think. A rare brain fart from the Hankster over here. Rare. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hank, do we have any more? Yes. This one's just as important as my favorite one, but I still think it's pretty important nonetheless. Protect Daniel Jones. Yeah, we
2: have to. We have to because if we don't protect Daniel Jones, turnovers are more likely to happen. He's likely to panic, go into overdrive, and whip it away. Washington has the second-best defense in the league, according to NFL.com, in numerous categories. What's that? Cannot take that team too lightly. No, you can't. And they're tied eighth for the best scoring defense in points allowed, best passing defense in the league. And then Montez Sweat, good young player, drafted last year, leads the team with five sacks. So it's very important to hone in on that, protecting – Daniel Jones and now we get to our last segment of the evening and that is players to watch. We just highlighted Washington's defense and I think it's very important to key in on these two players this week and they are familiar faces.
1: Yeah, Chase Young has been he's been a definitely a game-changing decent po- decent draft that Redskins have made what with like two and a half sacks and 19 tackles and then ryan kerrigan is a guy that for years he's had success against us and i i think for that reason he's pretty much a guy you definitely have to watch out for i mean he had sack in the last game too yeah um yeah i mean going back to chase
2: young pffs top rated rookie defensive player Uh, He's only played six games, six of the eight so far. Uh, No, six of the seven for them because he missed one game since they had their bye already. Uh, Two and a half sacks in six games for a rookie is not bad. Yeah. Uh, I think the expectations are a little bit higher for the second overall pick. But, uh, you know, according to Pro Football Focus, he's doing very well. Uh, Ninth ranked edge in the league. uh, Eighth best against the run at his position. And then 22nd best pass rusher at his position so he's pretty darn good and then you look at ryan kerrigan hank uh, a guy who's given us nightmares had a pick six against us years ago Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he's only played 32 percent of washington's defensive snaps this year in that effort he still has four sacks which is only one behind of the team lead uh yes he did have a sack against us in week six and then Throughout his career against the Giants, 18 games, 12 and a half sacks, 17 quarterback
1: hits. He's been all over the field, Hank. By Uh, the way, was that pick six? Are you talking about the one that happened week one of the twenty eleven (sighs) season? Potentially, yes. I believe I don't know if his I believe his rookie year was twenty eleven, either twenty eleven or twenty twelve. Yeah, it was twenty eleven. I remember it because that w- that was a game changer in that in that game. Obviously, we know what happened in the, end of the season, so I've almost forgotten about it. But still, facts are the facts. it no. a, it, it proves the point that he's been good against us his whole career. He has, and he also
2: have has 15 tackles for a loss on the season. He's been great. Two great pass rushers. I know. Last time our players to watch three weeks ago for Washington were Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and. Terry McLaurin. Those are still important players to hone in on as Terry McLaurin, 43 catches on the season for nearly 600 yards. Hank, he's been a monster for the football team. Uh, in week six against us, had seven catches for
1: 74 yards. He's a top 20 receiver in this league. In Definitely. My opinion. Definitely. And another guy we got to look out for, it's a tight end, and I think you know the pattern. Giants Every
2: week. Who's your tight end? Oh, never heard of him before. Well, you will, after this week, Yep, torch you for like five catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown.
1: Yep, my point exactly. Logan Thomas. And in the last game, I believe he had a touchdown on 42 yards, and on the season he's got a little over 200 yards. But against the Giants, you never know. He could probably have his breakout season. Let's knock on wood that that doesn't happen.
2: I mean, I I would hope so. He looked pretty good against us in the comeback effort in week six, Mm -hmm. folks. Uh, But let's make our game predictions. Now that we've analyzed the Giants and Washington, uh, I'll go first. I think the Giants win because they just seem to outmatch Washington every time they play them, regardless of what the records are. Throw them out the window. Uh, I'm going to go. Giants win, they score 17, I'm sorry, we score 17, and they score
1: 13. So you're going with 17-13 Giants, am I correct? I'm going to go slightly higher in the scoring department. I also have the Giants winning, but I also have it by a one-score game. I'm going to say the Giants win 23-16. Sort of a similar score than last time. And we have a
2: comment here from one of the viewers, Lee Stockwell. New York Giants win. Daniel Jones has a breakthrough. Lee, thank you very much for commenting on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, Feel free to check out our stuff. And we have this giant show every Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Daniel Jones needs a little breather. Oh, that's what you meant to say. Yeah, you know, I agree with you Lee. I think he's going to have a better game. My hope is that he doesn't have any turnovers just to kind of prove the doubters wrong a little bit. Uh yeah, our fingers are crossed because he just hasn't he hasn't been great this season. But I mean, we'll see what happens. I think it'll help that Landon Collins is out with an injury, but as we mentioned just a few moments ago, still need to look out for Kendall Fuller. Uh I'm still really concerned about that chase young montez sweat ryan kerrigan uh but washington will also on the offensive side of the ball Dontrell inman did not practice today i know he had a few catches against us in week six they're not sure if he's going to play yet so hank our predictions are similar thinking about it i think both are good the thing is i'm just not sure if the Giants offense is going to click or not against this defense. You know, that's why I went low with the score, but I can definitely see the Giants putting up over 20 points for sure.
1: Yeah, that's why I I couldn't really go too crazy with the Giants score. I know know that Washington has a good defense, too, so that was, I think, another thing that factored in. All I knew was, regardless, it was going to be a close prediction with the score-wise, and for good reason.
2: Lee asks... Don't we have to consider the offensive line for the last two years and switches up and down on the coaching staff? Yeah. Well, Lee, we talked about it a little earlier in the show tonight, but to your point, I I want to, I think the offensive line is very young and it probably had one of the best, their best games of the season last week. I do think they have been a huge problem for Daniel Jones But eventually, it's hard to continuously blame it on the line when your quarterback has been turning it over at an alarming rate. Um, You know, when receivers are open, uh, part of that, yes, the offensive line needs to give him a little bit more time. I agree. Um, What other quarterback has had the same issue? Well, to the degree of Daniel Jones, not many. I'd probably have to go with either Sam Darnold. Uh, You know, his line hasn't been great for the jets but you know other than that i i mean i agree with you i can't really pinpoint one quarterback that i can say oh every week he's under duress, he's getting sacked i mean maybe carson wentz right now because his line is trash all all of his linemen are hurt except for the center so you know you bring up some good points all right hank um one more time any anything you'd like
1: to add on that I think um Yeah, no, not really. I think it's gonna be another really close game between two rivals and should be interesting to see the way things play out and to see if maybe just maybe the Giants can somehow get back into the race for the NFC least as we like to call it. But yeah. You know, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm I'm really interested to seeing how the rest of the season plays out beyond this game. No, I agree with you hundred percent as always, Tom, it's been fun. Thanks again, man.
2: Yeah, no problem. And folks, if you're watching now make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at review and preview sports, and you can tune in next week to our show, same time, same place, 7.00 PM here on our Facebook live page. Uh, me and Hank will be back live. We'll probably have a guest next week. Um, and, yeah, just really looking forward to recapping this Washington game and then previewing Philadelphia again. It's crazy. We've kind of gone in a circle a little bit with our divisional games. They're all, like, clumped into a few weeks. Uh, I've seen that happen in a lot of years. Yeah. I mean, the scheduling this year has been insane. But uh, on behalf of Hank and Dichter, I'm Tom Scavetta saying so long. You've been watching Big Blue Avenue here. On Facebook Live at Review and Preview Sports. Good night, everybody.